from no orders, we've got about six or eight or something like that, in, having kind of reminded people yesterday. But this is the last reminder. Next Sunday, too late. We'll have them on the way to here. Now, we began last Sunday a three-part series on the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that phrase summarizes the pattern that's repeatedly presented to us in the scriptures. These are our enemies as Christians. I gave you a lot on that last time. I'm not going to repeat it today. Here's another way of thinking of them. The world is the fallen and wicked human society around us. The flesh is fallen, wicked human nature within us. And then the devil is fallen, wicked, angelic powers that are opposed to us and attack us. Let's think today about the flesh. The scripture uses the word flesh and I've given you the Hebrew and the Greek there for you, to speak of two things. Either human creaturely nature, or as God's creature, or then in particular of our fallen, sinful human nature. So sometimes in the Bible the word flesh is simply a way of saying a living creature, human being, or as we would say flesh and blood or flesh and bone. But at other times it's pointing to our moral condition, which is that we're without God, Blind to his light, deaf to his voice, ruled by sin. The context gives you which it means at a particular time. And Here's the thing. The world and the devil wouldn't have any impact on us at all if it wasn't, there wasn't something in us that responds to those temptations. It's our human nature, the flesh. Though the word flesh is used, we mustn't take it, think only of our bodies as being fallen. Some people have an idea that, you know, my body is wicked, but inside me there's something really central, really at the core that's quite pure. No, it isn't. All right? Because the Bible speaks about our minds and our hearts as being fallen and warped and wicked too. We mustn't allow ourselves to be drawn into Greek philosophy, which, is, which influenced the, the early church and has continued for 20 centuries since then. Uh, the apostles were fighting it, we're still fighting it. That matter, this is Greek philosophy, matter is evil, but spirit is good. That appeals to many forms of religion, and it's not Bible truth. Matter is not evil in itself. Let me give you a few pointers to this. A little bit of headline here. First of all, God's good creation. God made all things good. He made matter. He made the universe. He made a physical universe. He made physical beings. But we rebelled against him and rejected him. We chose evil, but matter, God's creation, isn't evil in itself. Secondly, Jesus became flesh. God became flesh, humanity, in Jesus. In him, God died and rose again. No wonder the Greeks of the first century couldn't get their heads around this gospel. Jesus became flesh, truly human, but not fallen human nature. He didn't share in that. And thirdly, Jesus defines sin as starting from the heart, from the core of our being, our mind. Jesus says, out of the mouth, the things that come out of the mouth of a person come from the heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. I know a heart transplant won't fix that. These things come out of a man, and, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile us. We sin inwardly in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our intentions, before we sin outwardly using our bodies, members of our body. Let's think for a moment about how Scripture defines a human being. The Bible view, the Hebrew view of a hum, human being is that we are unitary. We're one human being. We're composed of an inner person and an outer person. We have a body and we have a core which is called interchangeably the spirit or the soul just as heart and mind are interchangeable in Scripture. 
Paul talks about an inner man and an outer man. We are both a physical being and an intellectual or em- and emotional being. That is how God made us, and that's what we will be again in the life to come. Resurrected, glorified human beings living in God's renewed creation. But you see, by taking the word flesh too literally, some Christians get silly and they inflict pain and suffering upon their own bodies, thinking that the more they hurt themselves, the more godly they'll be. Paul wrote about that in Colossians. 2 verse 23. You can't cut sin out of your body. Sin is written into every part of your human being. Inner man as well as outer man. So one of our own enemies, one of our enemies is our own fallen human nature. We are by nature enslaved to sin. Paul's letter to the Romans, especially chapter 7 and 8, sets out the longer and fuller argument of this. But I haven't got time to go there, so I had to set myself a discipline. I will not go to Romans today. I'll have to take shorter parts from other, other of Paul's letters. Here's a summary, though, of our condition outside of Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You he made alive, you Christians were made alive, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, world, according to the prince of the power of the air, devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you also conducted yourselves in the lusts or appetites, is a better modern word, of your flesh, flesh, world, flesh and devil there, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, you notice that, both your body and your mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Uh, And here's a summary in Galatians and Ephesians of some of the things that our human nature produces. Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh, fallen human nature, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Okay, those are all to do with sexual misbehavior. But idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, even... Lying against the truth? Yes. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I told beforehand, as I also told you in past time, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice not all of those works of fallen human nature are fleshly as we usually think of it. They're not all to do with sex or even with gluttony or whatever. They're also sins of the mind and of language and of communication. So the body we live in, our appetites, our weaknesses, our sinfulness, our vulnerability to damage disease and death is part of our problem. Your inner mind and heart is also deceitful and desperately wicked so that our thoughts and feelings are warped by sin. After all, your body does what you consciously or unconsciously tell it to do. Our fallenness affects every part of our being. This is from the fundamental truths of the apostolic church who are just as old a a Pentecostal denomination as the Elim or the Assemblies of God. All the faculties, but they're very, very thorough theologians, all the faculties of the soul are corrupted by sin. All its powers are distorted by iniquity. Its motives are polluted by selfishness. The understanding is darkened by ignorance. The will perversed by rebellion and the affections ingrained by self-gratification. Let me give you a less verbose version of that in my words. We are crooked people who cannot stand straight, crippled people who cannot walk straight, 
blinded people who cannot see straight and deceived people who cannot think straight. These are all Bible analogies of our condition outside of Christ Jesus. But we're saved, you say. Yes, we are. But salvation has started in us, and from the Lord's point of view, because he knows all things, he's eternal, he sees us as already done, but we are still on the journey. It's not yet complete in us. There's a danger in over-realizing things. It's all done, it's all finished. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, his work for us was done, but his work in us is still happening. How many of you think you're all done, you're all through? So when Paul wrote this, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, all things have passed away, behold, all things are become new. He's not saying, we're, we're finished, we're done. But the G, in Jesus, we've entered into a whole new way of life. We, have, we need to embrace all that is new and let go of all that is old. It makes it very clear in other places that we are still contending with the old ways, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the truth is, we don't belong to that world. We're not subject to those authorities any more. We are not, however, without inward sin. The tendency is still there. The battle is not over until we depart this life and go to Christ or until the Lord comes. I read a, I haven't been able to check this as a fact, but I read an analogy this week that during World War I, and I think it was after the time when the Allies had retaken North Africa and the Germans were on the run from there uh, and the Italians had been pretty much defeated, that the during World War II, sorry, there was a subtle dis, a disalerting and dangerous nuisance that became prevalent in England. It was the optimistic nuisance. It was the false impression that was created. The war was all but won. It's interesting, the church around that time makes speeches that say, we're not there yet. This is the beginning, but you know, there's still more to happen. England was triumphant over land, sea, and air, but the nation was still confronted by an implacable foe. The government had to issue grave warnings to counter this impression that the war was drawing to its victorious, victorious end. It was premature celebration. Again, false thinking divides a wicked body from a supposedly pure spirit and leads to Christians saying, it doesn't matter what do we do with my body, my spirit remains clean. I've come across people who argue for that. That's contrary to scripture. Paul's letters in places firmly attack that line of thinking. And by the way, God will judge us for the deeds done in the body. One of the great dangers for any Christian is to think too highly of themselves as well. To be built up with pride. To imagine they've risen above temptation. Oh, I'm not subject to those things anymore. They don't bother me. The possibility of great sin. Father, no, 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 no. Not going to happen. That pride can then lead into being tripped into those very sins. We've heard far too many reports in recent years of leading Christians, people of great influence and responsibility, falling to sin, generally sexual sin. Sometimes it's financial misdemeanor, but generally sexual sin. But it always starts in private and in pride. The thought runs through someone's mind and heart. I'm special. I'm anointed. But then, I have privilege. I can get away with this. I call it Samson syndrome. Pride was the primeval sin. The sin of Satan. The sin of Adam. 
and continues to be the primary sin. There aren't many sins that don't have their root in pride. We're in, const- we're in constant warfare in this life. Not with flesh and blood, but with these things. Our flesh is weak, and we need to know that and own that so that we look for help. We accept grace to help us. The world constantly pressures us to conform to its ways. Our adversary, the devil, next week, is an implacable foe. No armistice has been declared. No ceasefire. We must be ever watchful, ever wakeful. Now, let me point you to some remedies, shall I? Would that be helpful? What we need, how we use to overcome the flesh, our fallen human nature. Some remedies. Two, really. The first one is this, the spirit. And this is not... Your spirit. People make the mistake of reading the Bible. Every time they see spirit, think it's talking about them. No, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In a number of places, the New Testament points to the fact that we can either follow the flesh, human nature, or the spirit. It's not our inner man. It's the Holy Spirit coming to us and helping us. Some Christians talk a lot of nonsense about their spirit, and that's not what Scripture is saying. Go back and check again Romans 7 and 8, but... You know, it won't get you anywhere following your own personal inclinations. You know, people have this kind of idea, I can just do what I feel and it'll be all right. Well, okay, why don't I just do what I feel like doing? Well, because you'll end up somewhere which is downhill, not uphill, folks. That's why. It's life in the Holy Spirit that overcomes our fallen human nature. We picked up from Galatians 5 earlier about the works of the flesh. Here's what comes before those verses. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust, the appetites of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not follow those appetites. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit, both all these capital S's, against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not being condemned for the struggle because you're being led by the Spirit. Further down in verse uh, 24 of Galatians 5. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And further down again. Um, Sorry, I should have done that. To conclude this argument in Galatians, Paul says, He who sows to his flesh, meaning his human nature, fallen human nature, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Living by the help of the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, following his guidance, being renewed in the attitude of your mind, being provoked in your conscience to to make judgments between what is good and not good. This is where freedom is found. He brings truth to our mind, our hearts. He guides good conscience. He brings a sense of God's pleasure when we do well, and gives us some unease about other things. This is how we overcome. Maybe, perhaps, more often by listening than by shouting. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. But this leading of the Spirit and guidance of the Spirit and agreement of the Spirit has practical actions and obedience. So the second part of our remedies is this. Devotion and discipline. We devote, dedicate ourselves to the Lord and follow him to be led 
by his spirit. We present, Romans 12, I said one, one little bit of room. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And then devotion leads to discipline. You see, if you love someone, you do things, you say things, and you do them. So we get some discipline. Galatians 3, verse 5 says, Therefore, put to death your members. That doesn't mean go and damage them and cut them off or anything else. But put to death these things which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, which means people who disobey, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Well, how do you put them to death? The rest of the chapter goes on. Put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Okay? You put off the old and put on the new. We recognize that we are crucified with Jesus, buried with Jesus, and raised with Jesus, and we act accordingly. Making choices, taking decisions, choosing those actions. This is what the New Testament presents to us. The truth of Jesus and the gospel is the foundation we build a new life upon. Again, Ephesians 4. Put off your former way of life, the old man, which grows corrupt according to its deceitful appetites, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or be renewed in your mind through the spirit, capital S is another way of saying that, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We must understand that pursuing godliness is never merely a negative thing. Ceasing just to do this and that, pruning bits off our lives. Changing life and behavior comes when we replace doing this by doing that. It's not just putting off the old man. We need to put on the new. Being a Christian means learning to live a whole new life. Now, that's far too small to see. I know that, but... Learn Christian disciplines. New ways of behaving. I don't personally call them spiritual disciplines because my conviction is that the word spiritual in Scripture generally is referring to the Holy Spirit, not to some quality in us. I can prove that another time to you. But people also use the word spiritual to mean something that isn't real. It's not practical. It doesn't actually do much. You know? It's kind of, oh, floating in the air somewhere. No, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do real things, to take real decisions and real actions. Every one of us depends upon certain rhythms and routines to live, daily, weekly, yearly, work, Food, rest, sleep, exercise, cleansing, bathing, and so on. These disciplines are the rhythms and routines that sustain life. But we as Christians need to build a whole set of rhythms and routines that sustain our life, faith, and discipleship. They are some which are personal to you, or we call them internal. Uh, Reading, studying scripture, prayer, meditation, and journaling. Meditation is thinking about scripture, thinking about life considering, reviewing, and then journaling is writing down your thoughts, writing down your prayers, writing down whatever God says to you, so you trap it at that point in time, and, and you write a journal. That's not a diary, that's not a, you know, most of us have an organizer, whether it's a written one or in our phones, 
our appointments and things. It's not about writing down your appointments. It's writing down what happens in life. And you process that before the Lord by asking in prayer, by thinking about things, by reading scripture, and then by writing down what strikes you for that day and, and m- what you prayed that day. Fasting is not uh, uh, skipping a meal or, uh, or you know, um, just having a bit of a diet. It's about forsaking food for a day or more to seek God. And then chastity is about sexual abstinence or sexual, uh, um, um, yes, chastity. <laughs> anyway, then there's external things, things we do outside of ourselves, like evangelism, serving, practicing simplicity. That's not being complicated and going for everything fancy and luxurious in life, but learning to live with a simple view of life. Stewardship, handling all that we have and all that comes to us in income and so on as being we're stewards. It belongs to the Lord. We're handling it for him. Solitude and silence. We don't, we're not afraid to get on our own with God at times. Submission, knowing that we're under authority, submitting to authority. And then things we do together. Corporate disciplines. Celebration, which we haven't done much of in, right, lately, but you know, a few of us may be clapping or applauding. Confession. Uh, we're open about life. We confess our faults. We confess our weaknesses to one another. We pray for one another. We seek guidance and wisdom. We do that together corporately. We're not afraid to ask friends and those who lead us, who pastor us, to give us some input in life so we find out the wise way to handle something. And then worship. Worship is a corporate activity. Start with the basics, scripture, prayer. Add more over time. It takes about six weeks, they say. Who's they? Well, you have to look it up. It takes about six weeks to form a new habit or to break an old one. So in one year, if you really went at it, you could add eight new routines or rhythms to your life. Some of these. If you only added four or five a year, think about it. It would only take about three years to have worked through most of that list and become a far more mature, stable Christian than you are right now. In fact, you may even really, right this moment, be daydreaming about the kind of believer you wish you were. Well, why don't you just make some steps? and start to build towards that. Yes, to put such things on, you've got to choose to put off other things. You've got to change your priorities, change how you use time, perhaps. But that is what discipleship is. Let me put it very simply. It's drawing and growing closer to Jesus. If you want to know more about these Christian disciplines of devotion... I can recommend some books to you. You can also find those kind of things online. Don't be surprised if different ones have different lists because they do vary between different writers. Okay, we're coming into the close here. The way to overcome as a Christian is not monasticism, to live life secluded from the world, withdraw from everybody else, or it's neither is it asceticism, which is life in mere self-denial, mere self-discipline. Stopping this, stopping that, stopping that, stopping that. Now, now I think I'm a bit cleaner because I've stopped doing all these things. One good prune isn't the fix. It is life in the spirit. Living life positively, confidently, uprightly, in the grace of God by the help of the Holy Spirit. That is how we overcome. If you want to read more about life in the Spirit, take some time later today. Read through Romans 7 and 8. Romans 7 is not the normal Christian life. 
It's a person who knows what they should be because they know the law, they understand something about godliness. They can't do it because there's no power in them to do it. But the answer is the Holy Spirit comes to empower and equip them to become what they can never be, merely in their own human nature. Let me ask you this question. Life in the Spirit. Are you a mere human being? An earthling? Just flesh? Well, I'm only human. Yes, we all are. Except when we're born of God through faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to be our helper, our equipper, our empowerer, our leader, our guide, our teacher. I do trust you have been taken hold of by the Almighty God to be his child through faith in Jesus. So are you being led by the Holy Spirit of God to grow in grace through faith? Then do your part. Give yourself in devotion to him. and Learn and add over time such disciplines as will help you to stand firm, particularly in times of trial, to speak truth, and the importance of doing that sometimes in the face of your enemy and in the face of danger and in the face of trial, you'll see next week is very important, to speak truth at times, to put the words out there and say, this is what I stand on, this is what I believe. Really matters. Next week. And to grow as a Christian. Okay. Bit of a rattle through to get all that done. Let's pray together, shall we? And then we're going to break bread. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want to take sin seriously, Lord. We, we are not abject failures, for you've received us and you've forgiven us and you've redeemed us and you forgive us our sins. We thank you that in the Lord's Prayer we're taught to pray for the forgiveness of our sins, with the condition that we also then forgive others because those who receive grace should be given us the grace. But we also need to pray, as you taught us, to deliver us from evil, to keep us from temptation. Lord, help us that we take seriously the fact we all still are carrying around a tendency which is warped and wicked and could go terribly wrong. Save us from Samson syndrome of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But help us too, Lord, to be convinced of the truth. You are with us by your Spirit to equip us and to empower us and to lead us to lead us every step of our journey of faith. You never leave us alone. You come to our aid. You supply us from heaven. So, Father, we want to be relying upon the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to Jesus, to grow us, to become more like him. And we want to be making the choices that cooperate with you in that. Increasingly, step by step, adding, growing, learning. So that we may be an honor to your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I pray today for anyone here who may have been struck by my words, earthly, merely human. I pray that you'll turn their heart to call to you and say, Lord Jesus, come and take me from being merely human. Make me yours. Teach me how to live by your grace, through the Spirit, for your honour 
Let me try true freedom, I pray, in following Jesus from now on. Amen.